I want to tell you about Knoxville, Tennessee. In Knoxville, there is a problem, uh, and it's one that might surprise you. Inner city kids in Knoxville have no access to public swimming pools, and so there's no chance to learn to swim. And as a result, in Knoxville, the chances of death by drowning for an inner city child are three times higher than that of, of other children. In fact, one in five drowning victims is a child under the age of 14. The problem is compounded. The children can't swim. Their parents who also grew up in the city, in the inner city, they can't swim either. So they couldn't save them if the child gets in trouble in the water. And so it's an issue that impacts the whole community. Some people in Knoxville began asking, what can we do? And little by little, answers came. And today, the Emerald Youth Foundation exists in Knoxville and it teaches swimming to 1,200 inner city kids. And in the summer, uh, there is a swim program. There are swim meets and swim teams. And to join the team and compete only costs $25. And a big part of that is because individuals and churches in the Knoxville area came together to raise the funds. They donate their time. They donate their money. They donate food because those kids need to be fed while they're at the meets. And some of those kids don't have any opportunity to, to get fed. They don't have opportunities for meals in their homes. They no, donate their time to provide rides for the kids. And the result isn't just that children in Knoxville are learning to swim. Obviously, it's exercise. And it's also teamwork. It's also building their confidence. It is also opportunities for those inner city kids to earn or, or to, to win college scholarships for swim teams. It's opportunities for better life, better future. And I just love how one six-year-old little girl said it. I am happy because I get to learn new things. And I like the people. Someone saw a problem. I even think someone chose to see a problem. I, I bet a problem like that's very easy for a lot of people to ignore. Someone chose to see the problem in Knoxville and they stopped saying someone should do something about that. And they started asking, why not me? See, that's, that question is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. In Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So if you are following someone who identifies himself as a servant, guess what you're going to do? You are also going to serve. That's going to color everything about you. It's going to color what you do, the way you think, how you respond to problems that you see, it's going to color your very identity. So we're going to spend the month of June looking at this call to serve. Really, it's the call to follow Jesus. It's a call we see all the way through the Bible. Service is how people respond to God. And we're going to begin back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6 today. Isaiah 6, verses 1-13. through if you're using the Bibles that we provide for you there, it is on page 571, and we'd encourage you to grab one of those and follow along. I love the book of Isaiah. Isaiah lived in some very difficult times. He tells us 
in verse 1 of chapter year, in the year that King Uzziah died. So the king, King Uzziah had died. So it was a, a troubling time. It was difficult politically. The king had died, and so the nation was without a leader. It was a difficult time socially also, because under the leadership of King Uzziah, the nation had prospered. They had grown very prosperous, very wealthy, and that, that in itself causes problems too, doesn't it? And the nation was having difficulty morally because in their wealth, in their prosperity, the people lost sight of God. In fact, you would have to say that in Isaiah's time, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, had really become atheists in that time. Isaiah's mission was to bring the focus back to God. We could use some Isaiahs today, couldn't we? We could use some Isaiahs in this country. We, we may not have an Isaiah today, but we have the same God who still calls His people just as He called Isaiah. He calls His people to serve Him. Have you heard that call? Maybe you have. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe it scared you. Maybe you thought to yourself, well, I don't know how to do anything. What if, what if I do it wrong? What if I mess up? What if I do it and nobody likes what I do? I wonder if Isaiah was wondering the same thing. We're going to begin in verse six, just verses, uh, excuse me, verse one, uh, verses one through seven to start with. Isaiah says, "In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim; each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet." And with two he flew, and one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. I never get tired of reading that chapter. I never get tired of, of reading that passage. It's an amazing scene. It's an awesome scene. But put yourself in Isaiah's place. Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes and think about it. What is the proper response when you are confronted with the holiness of God? What's the proper response when you are confronted with the holiness of God? The focus here obviously isn't on Isaiah. I mean, how could it be on Isaiah? You know, we often say here, it's not about me, right? We say that a lot. It's not about me. Well, that's that's the understatement of all understatements in this passage. It isn't about Isaiah. This is all about God. It's all about His power. It's all about His purity. It's all about His holiness. And Isaiah's first response is, I don't belong here. All of those things that God is, I am not. You notice where he puts the focus of his impurity? It's not on, it's not on what he's done. He puts the focus on what he has said. Isaiah sees God on his throne and he responds with the words, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You know, we, we might be able to fool people with our hands. 
You know, We might be able to do a few good things here, a few good things there. And at the very least, we can always wash our hands. We can always make them look like they're clean. But our words give us away, don't they? The words that we speak, they reveal what's inside. In Matthew 15, verse 7, Jesus is quoting Isaiah in that passage, and He says, "...this people honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me." Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says there, "...out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." But did you notice what God does? In verses 6 and 7, it says, "...then one of the seraphim flew to Me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The very thing that Isaiah felt was holding him back, the source of his shame, the source of his guilt, God removes that. Just as He does for us. That which we think disqualifies us, that which thinks uh, that we think uh, makes us unworthy to serve Him, He takes that away. It is burned away. That which makes us unclean or unworthy, He removes. See, that's what grace does. That's salvation. Isaiah saw his unclean speech as that which held him back. But God took that away. Through His own touch, God cleansed him. He removed the sin. So now what? If God has forgiven you, then what's your proper response? And what Isaiah, what Isaiah's experience shows us about our own salvation is that salvation comes with a call to serve. Salvation comes with a call to serve. Now, that's not just true of the of those super dedicated Christians. You know, that's not just true of the, the people that are here day in and day out, week in and week out, people that show up here all the time. That's, that's not just true of them. That's not just true for the talented who know how to play music and do wonderful things. That's not just true of the, of the ultra-committed. If you follow Jesus, you are following a servant, and as a result, you will serve. You're called to serve. Paul spells it out when he explains how salvation works. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through Paul says, "...for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith." And this not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Isaiah did not reach into the altar and grab a hot coal himself and stick it to his lips. It was a gift from God. God did this for him. So it is by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God does not just enable you. He does not forgive you to enable you to, to go to heaven. God forgives you so that you can stand before Him, so that you can serve before Him. And when Isaiah stood before a holy God, what was his response? Verse 8, he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. His response to his sin and his guilt being removed was to willingly submit to serve. It's always amazed me in Isaiah's response here. 
You know what, what really has impressed me about this passage? What, what always gets me about this passage here in Isaiah? What was Isaiah doing before? You know, we, we look at Isaiah chapter 6 and we call it Isaiah's commission. That Isaiah was commissioned to become a prophet. That, that God had ordained him to be a prophet in Isaiah chapter 6. But the thing that amazes me is it occurs in Isaiah chapter 6. What was he doing in chapter 1? What's he doing in chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5? What's he doing? You know what he's doing? He's prophesying. He's speaking the Word of the Lord to the people. He's prophesying over and over again in those chapters. He's already doing it. He's already serving. And I think about that. And I think about Paul telling us that it is by grace we have been saved, for we are His workmanship created for good works in Christ which He prepared in advance. Works that have been prepared long ago for you and I to do now. Could it be that like Isaiah, you're already doing something that God wants to commission you to do? Could it be that like Isaiah, you're already serving and, and God wants to, 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 to use you to do something greater or, or something more focused? Isaiah's response is, here am I. Send me. Do you hear the confidence in that? I don't think it was just that he was forgiven. I think he was commissioned to do something he already knew how to do. Something that would stretch him. Something that would change him. Something that ultimately, well, ultimately would kill him. Something that God had prepared for him to do that he was already doing. In the New Testament, when we see that word servant, in the Greek, it's the word diakonos. And I, the only reason I tell you the Greek word that it's diakonos is that's where we get the word deacon. We take the word diakonos and we just translate it. We don't even translate it. We just make it into the English word deacon. So deacons in the church are above anything else. They are servants. Being a deacon is a call to serve. Timothy and Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 tells us what deacons are to be like. He gives us the requirements for deacons. Who do we choose to fulfill these positions that we call deacons? And he says in 1 Timothy 3.10, let them first be tested, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. First let them be tested. Before you make, a, make them a deacon, make sure they're already deaconing. <laughs> Before you make them a servant, make sure they're already Serving. Look for people who are already doing it. People who are already serving and then acknowledge their service, approve their service, commission their service, and put them in a place where they can serve with confidence. Salvation comes with a call to serve. I look through this whole book and I don't see an option. I don't see an option. Isaiah's response of, here am I, send me. That becomes our response. So when we have opportunities to serve, our response needs to be, why not me? Why not me? If Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve. If Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and I follow Him, then I am also going to serve. The question is not will I or won't I? The question is how? The question is what service will I offer? If Ephesians chapter 2 tells me I've been saved by grace through faith, 
so that I can do the good works which God prepared in advance for me to do, then the question is how? God prepared in advance? God was getting things ready before I was saved so that I could do something for Him? Then when an opportunity to serve comes my way, I have to ask, why not me? Why not me? Isaiah heard the call of God. He responded with those words, here am I, send me. Then we have God's call for Isaiah. Then we have what he called him to. The service that he's calling him to. Look at, look at verses 9 verses 9 through 13. So here's what God calls Isaiah to. He said, go. God God said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their hearts, and understand with their, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And so Isaiah says, okay, uh, how long? How long, O oh Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants, the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like the terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is fell. The holy seed is a stump. Did you hear what God told Isaiah? People are going to hear you. They're not going to understand. People are going to see you and see the things that you do, but, but they're not going to perceive it. God's promising your, your service that I'm calling you to do, your service will fail. No success. No one's going to listen. The nation will still fall away. The people will still be taken captive. The Babylonians will, will still invade and my people will be scattered far, far away. I've heard too many times when someone's asked to serve, I'll just be honest, I've heard a lot of excuses. I've heard a lot of excuses. I'm worried. What if I screw up? What if, what if I don't know what I'm doing? You know, what if, what if they ask me to pray out loud and I pray wrong? Or what if I am asked to read Scripture and I, I read it wrong? What if I teach wrong? What what if I make people mad? What if by serving in the church I actually make people mad? What if, what if I'm no good? Isaiah's call wasn't about success. It was about faithfulness. Faithful to God's call. Your call, my call, it's not about success. It's about faithfulness. It's about asking, why not me? You know the amazing thing? God told Isaiah, Isaiah was promised, no one's going to listen. There'll be no results to your ministry at all. But do you realize that Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament? Second only to the Psalms. I mean, second only to the, the Bible song book. Isaiah is the most quoted book of the New Testament. Jesus quotes Isaiah more than any other prophet. In fact, when he began his ministry, Jesus quoted Isaiah 61. And he said, these words, this prophecy is now fulfilled in your hearing. He, he defined his ministry with the words of Isaiah. We look at Isaiah chapter 9 and we identify Jesus' birth with those words, unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. 
We look at Isaiah 53 and we read the words of the suffering servant about how He was pierced for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And we identify Jesus' death. And for a guy who was told that no one would listen to Him, here we are 2,600 years later and we're reading it. (laughs) And we're talking about it. We're discussing Isaiah. So was it about success? Or was it about faithfulness? God asked, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. So can I ask you to just consider one very important question for yourself? When presented with an opportunity to serve, knowing that God has called you to serve, can you simply ask, why not? Why not me? Did you realize that, I was going to say in the, in the next few months, but I really think it's in the next few weeks. In the next few weeks, the population of our church nursery will explode by 200%. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's a couple babies around here about ready to pop. And we have a couple wonderful ladies who, who serve in the nursery who do a wonderful job. But you know what? I bet there are other people that would like to do that too. I bet they'd love to have some help. And I, I think babies are fun to play with. Some people might need to be asking, why not me? Next month, in July, we're going to have a bunch of kids here. Some of them from our church. Some of them from our community. I don't know if you've been keeping up on the news of what's going on in our community. But I think the kids in this community could use some strong Christian influence. And I'll tell you what they really need. I think they need some strong Christian men in their lives. Men who can lead them. Men who can show them what it means to be a man of God. I think they need people who can help them, who will uh, love them, who will play with them, who will feed them, who will take them from class to class and just love on them. And you need to be asking, why not me? In any given week, we need greeters. It's a tough job. You have to know where all the bathrooms are. So you can tell people, bathrooms that way. You have to know where the nursery is. You can say, the nursery's there if you need to take a kid in the nursery. And, and we have kids programs over there. I mean, you know, it's, it's a very complicated job. You need, to, you need to hand bulletins out to people when they come in the door and shake their hand and smile. You have to smile when you do it. People need to be saying, why not me? We need teachers. We need people to prep communion. We need people who will, uh, we need people who can play instruments. We need musicians from time to time. Because if you don't, if you don't I'm going to have to play guitar again one of these days. You don't want that. No one wants that. We need song leaders. We need men and women of prayer. Men and women who care, who are welcoming, who are inviting, who are blessing, who are loving. We need people who will just simply ask the question, why not me? Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. You guys follow Him, right? You're following Jesus. You've decided to to follow Jesus. God asks the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
And God's people said, why not me? Let's pray.